0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E.com. Start your confidence journey today
1: with Byte.
0: It's full court with Fisher and Kay. We are back and we are full of brackets and madness and dancing and all of the great things that go along with March. And it's a Sweet 16 now for both men's and women's college basketball this weekend. We have plenty to get to from both tournaments after a first full weekend. Of great games and great moments. Last weekend, the men's NCAA tournament kicked off in Indianapolis. The women's, of course, kicked off from San Antonio and both return on Saturday afternoon and go through the weekend to see who will ultimately be playing in the Final Four the weekend after that.
1: And for the men's, we have a really interesting storyline. So, 5.88, that number has been thrown around a little bit. It is the highest ever average Sweet 16 seed in history. Um, on the men's side of the tournament. So crazy enough in 2019, we actually had the lowest Sweet 16 average seed at 3.08, almost three spots lower than this year's. There are still three number one seeds left. We have Gonzaga, Baylor, and Michigan, two number two seeds with Alabama and Houston. But then there's tons of double digit seeds and lower seeds, including a 15 seed, Oral Roberts, who knocked off Ohio State and Florida last week to reach the Sweet 16. So kind of an interesting storyline. While we still have plenty of top teams left, we still do have some of the highest seeds we've had in the Sweet 16.
0: I'm cheering for Oral Roberts because they are the only Golden Eagles that I have to cheer for in this tournament. Mm -hmm. And on the women's side, the lowest seed in the Sweet 16 is only a sixth seed. There are three of them. It's Michigan, who's in the Sweet 16 for the first time ever, Texas, and then as well as Oregon. All of the one seed, Stanford, UConn, South Carolina, and NC State, remain, making it 11 straight NCAA tournaments that the top four seeds had advanced to the Sweet 16. The four number two seeds still all remain as well, with the defending national champions, Baylor, and Gino is back for UConn. He missed the first two rounds. Uh, he contracted COVID a day after getting the vaccine, and now he will be back after they roll into the Sweet 16, and it's going to be a really, really great matchup. We've got the Women's NCAA Tournament tipping off on Saturday on ABC at 1 p.m. It's a marquee matchup. It is the battle of the top freshmen in the country. It is number one UConn in Paige Beckers and number five Iowa in Caitlin Clark. These two have been making headlines all season long. They're fantastic play, multiple 30-point games each, and as a five seed, Iowa took down Central Michigan in the first round, and then four-seeded Kentucky in the second round who has a National Player of the Year candidate in Ryan Howard uh, in order to reach the Sweet 16. So this will be their second straight Sweet 16 appearance, their eighth in school history. And in the win over Kentucky, the freshman phenom Caitlin Clark had 35 points. She set a new record for an Iowa player for most points in an NCAA tournament game, and it also marked her 12th game this season with at least 30 points at least 30 points, the most in the NCAA. Again, she was leading the country in scoring. Uh, and on the men's side, it was Luca Garza, of course, from Iowa, uh, who's no longer in the men's tournament, uh, but just a ton of star, star power coming out of Iowa. And then on the other side, of course, Paige Beckers helps lead UConn to the Sweet 16 matchup. He had 20 points against Syracuse, marking the 27th straight time that the Huskies will head to the Sweet 16. It's just absolutely insane. Uh, there's no program that can even compare, and Gino Ariema, like we mentioned, had missed the first weekend of the tournament due to his COVID-19 protocols, rejoined the team in San Antonio on Wednesday after celebrating his 67th birthday just on Tuesday, and so after the win against Syracuse, Paige Beckers had said, happy birthday, coach. If you're watching, get your butt here tomorrow. We're excited to see you, and this matchup will just be really great. Two great teams, two incredible freshmen. Should be a ton of fun on Saturday at one o'clock on
1: ABC. I love how she said, if you're watching, like as if he had any other thing he would be doing in that moment that I'm sure watching his team and getting ready to join them. uh, That's adorable.
0: (laughs) And I love the camaraderie too, between Caitlin Clark and Paige Beckers. Uh, They had a couple quotes floating around. Uh, Caitlin had said something like people think that we don't like each other. And she's like, I love her and I love her game. And they really respect one another. And so, to be able to see them go head-to-head with that on top of it just adds another layer uh, of excitement for me.
1: Yeah, that'll be just a great way to kick off the Saturday hoops, hoops weekend as a whole. Tons of matchups to keep our eyes on on the men's side as well, including a Pac-12 rematch between USC and Oregon. They definitely have some exciting players. Um, future lottery pick Evan Mobley for USC, senior Chris Duarte for Oregon. Evan Mobley had a double-double in each of the Trojans' first two NCAA tournament games, first in an 18-point win over Drake, where he had 17 points, 11 boards, and then in a huge 34-point win over Kansas, he had 10 and 13 to help lead the Trojans to the Sweet 16. It was their first one in 14 years. Uh, for Oregon, Chris Warta had 23 points to lead the Ducks over uh, two-seeded Iowa in the second round. Uh, This will be Oregon's fourth Sweet 16 in the last five years. I believe they're one of three programs to do that. It's Oregon, Gonzaga, and Michigan. Um, A great note from the Oregon website, he is one of five national finalists for the Jerry West Point Guard of the Year Award, and he is one of only two Division I players in the country, averaging at least 17 points and 1.8 steals per game while shooting 50% from the field. Um, Probably took a lot of work to dig up that stat, but... These two teams last played on February 22nd with USC winning 72-58. The rematch will take place Sunday night 945 on TBS. It will be a weekend full of hoops but let's take a moment to
0: look back at some of the best how they got their stories in the NCAA tournament and I think on the women's side we have to begin with Texas A&M. The NCAA tournament is always full of crazy paths and different crazy moments that can occur but the survive and advance motto really was on full display with Texas A&M. The Aggies were a two-seed, so no surprise that we find them in the Sweet 16. but it did take some late-game heroics to get them there. They faced a 15-seed in Troy in their first round, and they came out with the narrow 84-80 to 80 win. Destiny Pitts made four free throws in the final six seconds to help them come away with the win, but in the second round, they had faced the seventh-seeded Iowa State Cyclones in a game that ended up going to overtime and it was won by Jordan Nixon. She had a bank shot at the buzzer in overtime on a night where she had a career high 35 points. And I can still picture the play. So she grabbed, uh, someone had grabbed the ball, passed it off to her, and she's coming straight down the middle of the lane. And to bank it, coming straight down the middle of the lane, first of all, uh, just an impressive little bit of a move there. And she had seven of the Aggies nine points in overtime. And of course, two of the most critical to help propel them to the sweet 16. In her post-game interview, uh, she was emotional saying, you know, her teammates trusted her. um, And I just really feel happy for Jordan Nixon. She's a, a New York City native and just really deserves that moment.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. And there's just so many great stories, you know, of all these women putting up 30 plus points, which is just absolutely insane. So cool that she was able to do that and have, you know, the game winner. So we had a 15 seed, almost top a two seed in the women's tournament. And on the men's side, we did have a 15 seed, beat a number two seed, and then also advanced to the Sweet 16, talking about Oral Roberts. They opened up their NCAA tournament run with a 75 to 72 win over Ohio State. Ohio State had just come off of playing extremely well in the Big Ten tournament. They made it all the way to the Big Ten tournament title game. Um, But Oral Roberts was able to get the win. They then followed that up. a win over florida who they also beat by three points 81-78 to advance to the sweet 16 for the second time in program history and the first time since 1974. the win over ohio state also marked their first ncaa tournament win since 1974. oral roberts is led by the tandem of kevin o'banner and max asmus asmus who's a sophomore led the country in scoring heading into the ncaa tournament so Um, People did know his name, knew a little bit about him, but he certainly delivered on the big stage, scoring 29 points against the Buckeyes and then 26 against the Gators. The 26 points in the win over Florida, marked the 19th time this season, he scored at least 20 points in a game. His teammate, Kevin O'Banner, had his second 30-point game of the season against Ohio State, as well as a double-double, followed that up with 28 points and 11 boards, so another double-double against Florida, This Cinderella story isn't over yet. Like we said, Oral Roberts moves on to the Sweet 16 where they'll face Arkansas. This game tipping at 725 on Saturday night. We've got plenty of top
0: players to watch. On the women's side, of course, it's obvious. Caitlin Clark and Paige Beckers. But also I wanted to point out Dee Dee Richards from Baylor. Of course, her story of coming back from being paralyzed uh, for a short amount of time at the beginning of the season, even unsure if she could walk again, playing basketball and playing in the Sweet 16. We've got Kiana Williams, the San Antonio native, who plays for Stanford, uh, playing back in her hometown again. And then Sedona Prince, who has gained some fame. She plays for Oregon, and she was the one to call out the disparities between the NCAA men's tournament and the women's tournament as far as the weight rooms, uh, the swag bags, uh, the food at a certain point. And I think it's just worth noting that Speaking up on things and in inequities really matters. I think Dawn Staley had really put it well um, that she had said that to continue to speak up on these things is something to be proud of with these young women. And Kia Nurse, who plays in the WNBA had said, it's great to see these young women speaking up for what they think is wrong and what is wrong um, because they know that if and when, and you know when they get to the WNBA, they will still have a voice in that space. They will still be able to speak up for what they believe in and what they think is right. And so again, uh, of course, Sedona Prince is doing well on the court. I watched a really cool play of her doing a little step back fadeaway, but she's also speaking up and starting, um, you know, making a lot of noise for things that could use a lot more attention and effort, because in my opinion, this all really could have been avoided on the front end Of course, there's a lot of factors that go into this, and I don't think there's one person to blame, but I would just say that we have to continue watching women's college basketball. Um, We have to get ratings up. We have to make sure that the people in leadership positions and the people with deep pockets know that people want to watch women's college basketball. People care. It is great basketball. And Carrie, you just mentioned it. They are dropping 30 points in a game. They've had these incredible moments of game winners. They deserve the same treatment because they are, first of all, badass women, but second of all, uh, doing the same, if not better, as uh, the men's players in their respective tournament. And so my goal is that one day uh, March Madness will encompass everyone. Um, People were joking that it's not called the MNBA, uh, it's called the NBA and, and so on and so forth. But again, it's just about moving forward, figuring out how to right what's been wronged and continuing to speak up for what is right.
1: Absolutely. And very, very well put, Jenny. On the men's side, tons of top players to watch as well. One story I love is Buddy Bayheim playing for his dad, obviously, Syracuse coach Jim Bayheim. Um, he's had some huge games in the tournament. It must be so cool to go out there, not only play for a school he's grown up watching, but also his dad. Get to have your family in mm-hmm. attendance, you know, even with the limited attendance, they get to be there watching it. So, Definitely keep our eyes on that story. Cameron Crutwig for Loyola Chicago, just a dominant big man. I absolutely loved his reaction last weekend when at the end of the game, he stripped um DeSumo for a late game steal, kind of sealed the deal for Loyola getting that win. You could just see his passion and his excitement, um, the way he drives that team has just been awesome to watch. Davion Mitchell might be the best defensive player left in the tournament. Obviously, There's been tons of flashy offensive plays all over the place, but like the Cameron Crowe play on the defensive end, Davion Mitchell always making those plays. Keep our eyes on him. The Oral Roberts tandem of O'Banner and Ace that we just talked about, um, see if they can deliver yet again. Obviously, they're not really a secret anymore. People are seeing those big stat lines they've been able to put up. And, of course, Gonzaga's squad of Drew Timmy, Jalen Suggs, Corey Kisper, just all those pieces they have there. Never really sure who it's going to be for them on a given night. Sometimes it's all of them, and then they're really hard to beat. So definitely keep our eye on all of those players.
0: This is where these names become household names. And so we'll have to see how it all goes. But before we even get to the real Final Four, we like to do our Final Four. And this week we have our four big things happening outside of the NCAA tournament, but still within college basketball. First on the list is the head coaching carousel continues to spin and so in my world Marquette and I know since the last time we recorded I haven't even mentioned it um a week ago today um as of March 26th Marquette uh parted ways with head coach Steve Wojnarowski after seven years um so he was there for my entire tenure just want to say that I think he is one of the greatest people um a family man a man who cares about his players so so deeply um and I just wish him all the best in whatever may be next for him. And a week after his parting from Marquette University, it is announced today that Shaka Smart is the next head coach of Marquette. Um, I don't think it's been made official yet through Marquette, but tons of stuff swirling around, John Rothstein everywhere on Twitter, um, and actually uh, Ben Steele with the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel had written an article about it as well. And so Marquette has a new head coach, Shaka Smart. He is a Wisconsin native. He obviously had a ton of success at VCU, not as much at Texas uh, as a Marquette fan. One thing that worries me is bringing in a coach that did not have NCAA tournament success, no wins at Texas in the NCAA tournament. And that was one of the reasons for letting go of Steve Wojciechowski. So a little bit of, uh, I guess I would say nerves there. But what I'm most proud of is that it will be the first Black head coach in Marquette men's basketball history. And that
1: is definitely something to be proud of. I had no idea he was actually from Wisconsin until today, just kind of reading up on him and his background. So um, obviously very cool. Another cool head coaching story, Minnesota hired a new men's basketball coach last week, Ben Johnson. He actually also went to Minnesota, graduated from Minnesota in 2005. He was a two-time captain. Um, He spent the past three years at Xavier as an assistant coach. He was also an assistant with the Gophers from 2013 to 2018. So just kind of cool to hire someone who's from the state, from the, you know, from Minnesota, knows what Minnesota is all about. And it was pretty cool to see some messages of support being tweeted out um, from former Minnesota players, just, you know, about the hire and that everything was in good hands with him. So kind of a cool transition there.
0: With transitions in coaching, there's also transitions on rosters. So transfer rates, we have this conversation every single year, but Our second piece of the final four, transfer rates are rising, and it's a little different this year because what seniors decide to do and how that affects rosters in terms of coming back for that extra year of eligibility that the NCAA has offered them will really come into effect. But the one thing I wanted to point out is that as of Thursday morning, so March 25th, there were 855 names in the transfer portal with still two weekends left in the 2020-21 season. And Greg Gard, uh, the coach at Wisconsin, had pointed out that last year at this time, there were roughly half that amount of transfers. But at the end of last season, the portal still finished with over a thousand players looking to transfer elsewhere. People like to point fingers and, you know, say that this is the reason or um, since I mentioned them already, the way that Greg Gard likes to put it is a little sliver of adversity. Don't know if I agree with that at all. But uh, people like to point fingers to a million different reasons why kids transfer and try to call out why the numbers continue to rise. Obviously there's a pandemic that weighs into this year. Um, but what I would say is that the numbers are going to be different uh, every single year. And I think uh, the fact that they're rising isn't really even a huge reason for concern in my head. It's it's kids trying to make the right decisions and find a place where they feel that they're meant to be um, for whatever reason that may be. And so. But Carol, let's talk about how it's going to be a little bit weirder with that extra year.
1: For sure. Yeah, there'll be seniors that have the choice, you know, to come back because they have the extra year of eligibility. So I um, haven't really seen anyone come out and say that they are. Um, Jenny, I know you mentioned some Butler players did say that they were coming back, but maybe that was kind of the first wave of people saying that. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, people might not know their rosters fully until you see what those seniors are doing. And I'm sure there's tons of different factors that go into every individual's decision. They'll try to make the best decisions for themselves and their families. So we'll definitely have to keep an eye on that like we did last spring um, with those spring athletes who got the extra year of eligibility at their schools.
0: Definitely. Our third piece of the final four, players in women's college basketball have started declaring for the WNBA draft if they are out of the tournament. The WNBA draft is on April 15th. You have to declare by April 1st. If you are a women's college basketball player that is eligible, that you meet the requirements. So far, Charlie Collier, who declared about a month back, Chelsea Dungy from Arkansas, who has had an incredible career there and her stock has only risen over the past year. And then as of literally 25 minutes ago, because I checked my phone to see if it's happened yet, Tiana Mangakahia from Syracuse has now declared for the WNBA draft, um, which again, her story, just to hit on a couple of the highlights or the highest points of it, She uh, came from Australia. She started at a community college called Hutchinson uh, out in Kansas, ended up coming to Syracuse, uh, had breast cancer, fought through it, uh, ended up coming back and then played in the NCAA tournament this year. And so the next step in her journey is right around the corner. It's three weeks away, she is on draft boards. And so to see where she winds up next
1: will be really, really cool to see. That is awesome. She has such a great story. Very excited to see where she'll go. Our final four story today involves another cool little coaching story, um, this time with Purdue women's basketball. They recently announced Katie Gerald as associate head coach for the Boilermaker program. And it was announced that she will not only be the associate head coach, but then she will also succeed head coach Sharon Versip as the eventual head coach of the Boilermakers. She played at Purdue, she led them to an Elite A appearance in 2007, which was also Coach Versus first year on the job. Previous to this, she was at Marion and NAIA for eight years where she won back-to-back NAIA national championships in 2016 and 2017. Just again, another interesting story about an alum getting a chance, you know, to come back to their school, make an impact, and I don't know that I've ever seen kind of the transition language there where she'll be the associate head coach and then the head coach eventually, but um, kind of pulled to just learn the ropes from a coach she obviously knows well and likes, and then take over the program for her own one day.
0: Super interesting,
1: and I almost like it because I feel
0: like for the players' sake, it gives them peace of mind. I feel like whenever there's a transition of coaches, the biggest thing that ADs talk about is wanting to make it a quick process so that they know that they can tell their student athletes, okay, this is who's coming in, and they can make a decision if they want to stay or transfer or what have you. Um, and the only thing that I can even like somewhat mirror it to is. Notre Dame and Neil Ivey, uh, they were saying like everyone knew that she was next up, but there was never this language of like, oh, she will succeed, Muffet McGraw. And so it's a really interesting way of doing it, um, and I think it's it's actually a really cool story. But before we go, uh, the last thing that we wanted to mention, Oscar Freyer, who is from Grand Canyon U- University, um, he passed away just a few days after playing in the NCAA tournament, um, and his coach said, you know, that was the happiest three weeks that he had ever seen him. Um, a tragic accident and just want to wish our best and our prayers to all of his family and all those affected. It truly gives you a bit of perspective as we continue to watch the rest of the tournament and these games uh, throughout the rest of the weekend and then into April. And so another episode of Full Court with Fisher and Kay is in the books. Thanks to our producer, Mike Lieber, as well as Bruce Bernstein for all of their help. Kristen Woolley edits the show and we appreciate all of her contributions and please
1: make sure to check out our other Peer Hoops media shows. Catch and Shoot 2.0 with Aaron Berlin and Otto Strong drops each Wednesday. Each Thursday, Monica McNutt and King McClure drop by with buckets, boards, and blocks. Every Friday is the Peer Hoops podcast with BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman. The Mike Wise show drops each Monday and we'll be back every Tuesday with Full Court. Please check out all of our shows, subscribe, download them, rate and review them, but most of all, enjoy. See you next week on Full Court with Fisher and Kay.
0: Full Court is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.